Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 95. I'll give you a couple of seconds to find that in your Bible or on your phones. It's from Psalm 95. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, although they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. So we're now in our fourth week of our sermon series entitled, How to Get Unstuck Spiritually. And as Mr. Jeff shared last week, Spiritual growth usually, often, is not linear. For every two steps forward, we find ourselves taking a step sideways, maybe a step backward, maybe spinning in circles a little bit. I don't know about you guys, but often there have been times for me when I feel like I'm just not growing spiritually, when I feel like I'm struggling with my faith, when I'm struggling to depend on God, when I'm struggling with something that God has pointed out in my life that is not in keeping with what he wants for me. I hope that some of you guys can resonate with this. And so two weeks ago, we had a guest preacher, Will Cottrell, who came, and he preached about the difficulty of prayer, the difficulty of praying with integrity. And yet he emphasized to us the importance of how we experience the presence of God when we pray. And last week, Minister Jeff spoke to us about the Word, about the importance of remaining in the Word, about the importance of immersing ourselves in the primary way in which God has revealed himself to us. And he gave numerous examples, numerous strategies, numerous ways to help those of us who struggle to read, to help those of us who really have a hard time coming and, and, and looking into the Word each day, strategies to help us immerse ourselves in God's Word so that we can remain in the Word of God as Jesus taught us to do. And so this week, we're going to focus on worship. Now, perhaps it seems like I'm preaching to the choir right now because all of you guys are here 
in attendance at Sunday worship service. For many of you, you have a regular habit on Sunday mornings of coming to church, of participating in worship. You have a habit of coming together corporately as a group of people and singing praises to our God together. And yet, for some of you, you're still struggling spiritually. You feel that God is distant even when you're here at church. Now, for others of you, this might be the first time you've come to church. Or maybe it's the first time in a long time that you've come to church. And maybe you're not struggling with growing spiritually, but you feel like you're stuck in some ways in other ways, and you're looking for something. Maybe you're looking for some meaning or purpose in your life. Or maybe you're just looking for a community that loves you and that accepts you unconditionally. Well, regardless of whether we're, we're regular attendees at this church or whether you're here for the first time, there can be times when we feel stuck. There can be times when we feel like this old car here, stuck in this rut, going on the road of complacency, seeing where we're headed and not liking where we're headed, and yet feeling like we're just not able to get out of the path that we are, see ourselves headed on. And so we come today to worship. How does worship help us to get unstuck spiritually? How does worship help us to grow closer to God. And for that, we look into our passage today, Psalm 95, where we find that worship gets us out of ourselves and into the transforming presence of God. So we'll start with the first few words of the psalm, which say, O come. And when we see the psalmist start the psalm with the word come, we see that what the psalmist is saying is that worship has to be active. It must be active and not passive. We're called to go towards God. We're called to enter into the presence of God. Worship isn't something that we just sit back passively. Worship is something that we have to engage ourselves into, engage our will into. Now, I'm not trying to say that it's up to us completely on our own to reach God, because I recognize that in God's holy righteousness and his holiness and in our frailty and our brokenness, we have no way of even thinking about approaching God unless he first reaches down into us. But in Christ, we have victory over death. In Christ, we have reconciliation with God. In Christ, God did show himself to us who he is in his character. And in Christ, for those who have faith, God has called us to enter into his presence. God has called us to actively engage with him. And so what this means is that we can't just sit back passively. Earlier this morning, the worship team had the solemn responsibility of leading us in worshiping God through our voices, making a joy joyful noise, like our psalm today says. And yet, even as the worship team had the solemn responsibility of leading us in worship, 
the worship team is not responsible for whether we are worshiping. Because worshiping is not like going to a concert where we let the music wash over us and where we listen and sit, and sit there passively. When we worship, God calls us to engage with all of who we are, to be active. And so what this means is that sometimes we're called to worship even when we don't feel like it. Because worship isn't dependent on our feelings. It isn't dependent on the worship team. Worship is dependent on the call that God has given us to engage with him actively. And so there are times when we come to church and we don't just don't feel like worshiping. We feel down. And in those times, God calls us yet still to look towards him. God calls us yet still to enter into his presence. God calls us yet still to go to him. Because worship isn't something we passively experience. Worship is something that we actively engage in. Worship must be active and not passive. Worship is a little bit like marriage. Now, for those of you guys who aren't married, you can think about a relationship that you have with a close friend. But in marriage, we have to be intentional with our spouses. Three weeks ago, some of us went to a marriage conference. And a bunch of us went to a workshop at the marriage conference, which was trying to encourage us to be intentional in our marriages. And so what we came out of this workshop with was this bowl with a bunch of folded up pieces of paper on it. And on each of these pieces of paper was some sort of mission that one of us would have to do for the other. Maybe it would be one of them, you know, maybe the mission would be, you know, this week, plan a long walk with your spouse. Or maybe it would be bake cookies for your spouse. Or maybe it would be spend some time this week in intentional prayer with your spouse. There were various missions that we were told. And so the goal is over the next year, each week, we take turns each week. One of us, would have, between Emily and I, would have to draw a piece of paper out, read what it says, and we have the whole rest of the week to figure out how to accomplish this, this mission. And I'm sure there are some weeks when we'll be really excited, we'll be really motivated to do what's on the piece of paper because it's something that you know, fits our personality or, it's, or we just feel especially loving towards our spouse. But I know there's going to be some weeks where we just don't want to do with that, what's on that piece of paper, that there's just a lack of motivation. And yet, despite our motivation, despite whether we want to do it, I know that in the end, when the mission gets accomplished, we'll appreciate what the other spouse does, whether or not we were highly motivated to do it at the very beginning. And in the same way, I think when we engage with God in worship, even when we don't feel like it, perhaps God is even more glorified than those times when we're just feeling the presence of God so closely to us. And so worship, in being active and not passive, therefore has to encompass the entirety of our lives. And we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writing, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Because you see, worship, even though the psalm calls us to sing a joyful noise to the Lord, worship 
isn't just about singing. Worship, as, Pastor, or as uh, Elder Terry prayed just now, encompasses the entirety of our lives. You are worshiping right now as you are listening to this message. You are worshiping when you're working on your papers or working on your problem sets, working on your homework. You're worshiping when you are taking care of your kids, when you're disciplining your kids. You are worshiping when you are project managing at work and trying to take care of the folks that you are managing. You're worshiping when you're doing your work as you use your work to exalt the Lord. Worship must be active and not passive. And so God has given us Sunday morning worship services. God has given us times, daily times in the word to remind us that worship encompasses the entirety of our lives, to remind us that worship must be active. Because, you know, I'll be honest, there are some times when on Sunday mornings I wake up and I'm exhausted and I'm just tired and I don't feel like coming to church. And yet, God still challenges me and moves me to come because worship is active and not passive. Or there are mornings when I just don't feel like opening up God's word, when I just don't feel like praying, when I just don't feel like spending that time of personal worship with God. And God knows this. He doesn't want us to hide this from him. He knows our hearts. He wants us to be honest with him. And I think during those times when I come before him and tell him, God, I just don't feel like praying this morning. And yet, he's honored when we come before him anyways. And the thing is, as we engage in regular patterns of worship, we're reminded that worship encompasses the entirety of our lives. And as we, as we engage in these regular patterns of worship, even when we're struggling, even when we're not feeling it, God is honored. And we experience his transforming presence. And so we've seen from this first word of Psalm 95, or the first couple words, that worship must be active and not passive. As we go into the rest of the first sentence, we see something else about worship. We see that in Psalm 95, the psalmist is calling us all collectively to come before God in worship. The first verse says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Now, there are other parts of the Bible that focus on our individual worship, but in Psalm 95, the psalmist is focusing on how we are worshiping together as a group, how we are worshiping together as the church. The exhortation is to us as a collective because worship must be corporate and not just individual. Let me give you one example of what I mean. There are times when I come to church, like I shared before, and I just don't feel like coming to church. And there are times when, or there are times when I'm tired, there are times when I'm drained emotionally, there are times when I'm struggling. And as we come together and the worship team starts singing, I just don't feel like singing because of what I'm wrestling with in my heart. And during those times, I, I, I just can't voice those words because I'm struggling. And so I spend that time with thoughts rolling around my head. I spend those times wrestling with God about myself, about circumstances, about trials that I'm going through. I spend that time meditating. I spend that time hearing everyone else around me singing. And the thing about that is that time of corporate worship is important for me because 
as I spend that time hearing everyone else around me singing, the worship of the church has the ability to lift me up. The worship of the church has the ability to give voice to what I feel like I can't say. And eventually, the worship of the church is used by God to help give me a voice so that I am able also to use my voice to sing praises to God. And so sometimes I'm the guy who needs the rest of the church to lift me up in my worship. Sometimes I am the one that God uses to lift up everyone else around me in their worship. Because the thing is, when we come together to worship, the worship that we lift up to God is greater than the sums of our individual worships. Because on our own, God knows we struggle, we flail. But together, God has used us to make us stronger as we seek to come before him, as we seek to enter into his presence. On our own, we have this tendency to curve back on ourselves, to think about what we need, to think about what we're thinking. When we're together, we look around, we see the needs of those around us. We see what other people are doing. We see how, how joyous that other people are. And in seeing other people, it helps us to look outside of ourselves and to look up towards God and to remember all the great things God has done. It helps us to remember and to praise God rather than to be thinking about ourselves. Being with other people enables us to discern other people. And being with our church, worshiping together, also reminds us to discern the needs of the global church. That as we come together in this local church, we're also joining with brothers and sisters, millions and millions of Christians all around the world in praising God and lamenting and praying for their, their needs, but recognizing that we are all one part of one global church, lifting up a joyful noise to the Lord. Because we are not a cocoon. We are not an island. When we come to church on Sunday, we're not called to put on headphones and tune everyone else out around us. God has given us to each other to uplift, to, to join together and to uplift one another in worship. And so the thing about worshiping in community is that worship must therefore also lead us to reconciliation with one another. Because God, to, for us to be able to worship God, God had to show mercy to us. God had to show mercy to us on the cross. God had to show mercy to us in revealing himself to us. God had to show mercy to us in forgiving us. And so for us to be reconciled with God, we also have to be reconciled with one another. This is why Jesus in Matthew 5 says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Because you see, when we worship, we get a clear picture of the transcendent holiness, of the transcendent righteousness of God. When we worship, we get a clearer picture of our own brokenness, of our own sinfulness of our own guilt and of our own shame and how much we need God in our lives and how much we need the cross. When we worship, 
we realize how much we are in need of God's forgiveness to us. And when we experience and understand God's forgiveness, we better, are better able to forgive those around us. We are better able also to ask those around us for forgiveness. Because for us to worship communally requires us to be reconciled to one another. And so worship necessarily causes us to be reconciled. Worship necessarily causes us to become more united. And in the end, what is our picture of worship that God has given, the perfect worship that God has given us in the Bible? We see in Revelation 7 a picture of people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation gathered around the throne of God proclaiming salvation belongs to the Lord, proclaiming glory and honor to the Lord. A picture of people across generational divides, people across ethnic divides, people across political divides, united with one another in perfect harmony, in perfect relation with one another, united in the ways in which we serve and in which we worship our God. Because ultimately, worship must be corporate and not just individual. And so we see from the first few words of the psalm how worship has to be active. It's not something just to be passively experienced. And how worship is individual, but it's not just individual. We join together as a church to worship as well. And as we go into the rest of the psalm, we see that worship transforms our perspective and our identity. It transforms our perspective as we see why we worship God. And it transforms our identity as we better understand who it is that we worship. In verses 3 through 5 of our psalm, we see the reason why we worship God. We worship God because he is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. We come before God in worship because he is the almighty God, the God who created all things, the God who created us, the God who created everything from the mountains to the seas, from the waters to the dry land. We come to God because he is our creator and we are his creation. We see this more clearly in the next few verses where the psalmist renews the call to worship and says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see, in worship, we're, we're reminded of who we really are. We are not the creator. We are not in control. In worship, our relationship with God is renewed. The creator-creature relationship that God initially created, intended back in Genesis 1, is renewed. We're reminded that we are not the creator. We are not in control, but that we are the sheep of God's pastures, God, and God is our shepherd. We're reminded that God is a good God, that God leads us to green pastures, that God brings us to still waters. That when we're struggling with our lives, that God leads us in paths of righteousness. Not because of us, not because of who we are, but because of his namesake. That's from Psalm 23, by the way. 
if you guys uh, found those words familiar. Because ultimately, we worship because of who God is, not because of who we are. And when we worship, we better understand who we are, that we are just the sheep of his pasture. Worship is about God, about seeing and acknowledging and remembering the mighty deeds that he's done in creation, the mighty deeds that he's done in redeeming us, the mighty deeds that he does in rescuing us each day, the mighty deeds that he does in sustaining and upholding us, the mighty deeds that he does in enabling us and bringing us into his mission and giving us what, he need, what we need in order for us to accomplish that mission that he's given us. We are not in control. We are just the sheep. And so we therefore worship and we have that identity. Worship transforms our perspective and our identity. And it's not just Christians who recognize this. It's also non-Christians. Ralph Waldo Emerson, who some of you guys might know of, once said, a person, a person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our heart, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. What we are worshiping, we are becoming. And the Bible affirms this as well. In Psalm, in Psalm 115, verse, verse 8, we read, those who make them, meaning idols, become like them, so do all who trust in them. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we read, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so we have to ask ourselves, what do we worship above God? Where do we find our identity? Because when we worship, we become like what we worship. Do we worship beauty and youth? Do we worship and find our identity in success at work? Do we worship finding escape and entertainment in Netflix or video games? Do we find our identity in relationships with friends or in the hopes that we have for our children? Now, none of these things are bad in and of themselves. I think it's okay to try to look the best that we can. You know, all, all of us pastors and elders are wearing suits just now. I think, it's, I think that's okay and it's not unbiblical to do that. It's okay, I think, to to watch a movie on Netflix, to play video games. It's okay to care about our children. It's okay to have relationship with our friends. In fact, many of these things we're called to do. But the question is, is that our identity? Is that what we're holding higher than God? Is that what we're pursuing higher than God? Are we desiring these things more than God? Because what we are worshiping, we are becoming. Because when we desire these things more than God, we're missing our true identity. 
we're missing who God made us to be. We're missing who God is seeking to transform us into being. We're defining ourselves by our beauty. We're defining ourselves by how much our friends like us. We're defining ourselves by how well, well our kids succeed in life. Rather than by being defined by what God intended us to be defined by from the beginning, which is to be his sheep, which is to not be the one in control, but to be the one who submits to God. Our identity being the one who Jesus loves. Our identity as God's children. So when we worship, we see that when we worship God, we see that identity more clearly. We see how God has reconciled us to himself. We see how God has reconciled us to each other. We see that how at the cross, God made us who weren't a people into the people of God. We see how God has made us into his child. Worship transforms our perspective and our identity. Which brings us to the last part of the psalm, where we see that Israel didn't get it at all, and Israel wasn't worshiping, and therefore God swore that they would never enter his rest. But when we worship, we find God's rest. When we worship, we get a glimpse of what the ultimate meaning of that rest means. When we worship, we get a foretaste of that Revelation 7 image of us being in the perfect creature-creator relationship with God. When we worship, we bring a picture, a small picture of what it means for God, of what it will look like when God renews his creation in completion on this earth. When we worship, we have a better understanding of what that Sabbath rest looks like that God has promised for all those who put their faith in him, for all those who come to him, for all those who trust in Christ. Because worship gets us out of ourselves into the transforming presence of God. Worship gives us a taste of what it means to be in the presence of God. Worshiping him with the entirety of our being. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you are the holy, almighty God. That even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of not knowing what our ne even our next month might look like, that you are the sovereign God over all things, that you are the creator who created all things, and you are the one who holds all things in your hand. And God, we thank you that in your graciousness and in your mercy, rather than judge us for our sin and for our brokenness, that you came to us and showed us who you are, that you came to us on the cross dying for us, to reconcile us to you, that we might understand what it means to enter into your presence, that we might understand what it means to behold your presence, and that in that presence we might be transformed, Lord. And so, God, we ask that you would continuously remind us week by week, day by day, hour by hour, second by second, of your calling to us to be in your presence, to be acknowledging you, 
to be exalting you with all that we do and with all who we are as being your sheep, as being your child. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.